All right, turn to Hebrews chapter 12 or find us on version. It's great to see you guys today. I'm excited to teach you for a few minutes before our 242 Connect. Here's a question. What is the biggest gap in the world? What's the biggest gap in the world? So we can answer this a lot of different ways, but that is actually a geographical term uh, for, for a, you know, a topography phenomena, I guess. Uh, you may have heard of the Cumberland Gap, or, or you may have been there. I've been to the Cumberland Gap. It's in East Tennessee, Eastern Kentucky. Uh, it's a part of our history. Uh, the Native Americans used the Cumberland Gap. It was a wind gap uh, cut through the mountains, and they would use that for centuries. And then pioneers, as, as they settled Kentucky and what was then known as the West, would use the Cumberland Gap. Uh, there's also the world's biggest gap, specifically is Nepal. Uh, Mount Everest is the tallest mountain, and then there's a gap between Mount Everest and the fourth tallest mountain. In 2017, when I was with my team, we were getting ready to ascend Mount Everest. <laughs> Just want to see if you were paying attention. Hey, even if I had ascended uh, Mount Everest, nobody wants the pastor who's bragging about uh, their hiking, uh, you know, pursuits or whatever. Um, I have hiked. I like hikes that are flat and clearly marked. Those are my favorite kind of hikes. It's like the, the, the youth group girls, they had a hiking activity that Lexi led. I'm like, where's the hiking activity? I'm really interested. And it was in that little park down by where Butch lives. What's the name of that park? Uh, yeah, it was the Hendersonville Greenway. I'm telling you, Lexi, you led the girls on something very risky. You know, a, a, a hike. they probably had their hiking boots and wool socks and all of that for the, for the Greenway there. But, but I do, we do appreciate your ministry. Thank you for doing that, Lexi. She feels really appreciated now, doesn't she? Uh, here's a picture of a true geographical gap. Uh, this is in Italy. Now, I see that picture, and for some of you, you see extreme sports, right? That's an extreme nightmare to me. <laughs> Just seeing that picture gives me some anxiety. Um, the biggest gap in the world, though, I'm going to give you more a metaphorical gap. It's the gap between vision and a first step. Uh, last week, I, I started this series, Reset. I talked about resetting your vision. And, and I hope you go back and listen to that teaching or listen to it again. would love for you to find it on YouTube. And if you want to, subscribe to YouTube. We need some more YouTube subscribers. Uh, subscribe to our channel there. But vision is necessary. Vision is good. Vision helps us. But vision is just the fun part. The biggest gap in life is the gap between a vision and a first step. You know, I've worked with some church planters through the year. I've been a church planter and church planters love to pick the name of their church and to create a logo. That's the fun part, the vision. And here's our church colors and logo. That's the fun part. Then after that, it's all work. Because the first step is always the hardest. Again, I'm not trying to minimize vision because vision is necessary. And without vision, we're not fully who we are designed to be. So I, I asked you to reset your vision. Today, we're going to talk about resetting your focus. Resetting your focus. Because once you make that biggest first step and you cross the gap, you know this, that every day you have a chance to lose focus. That's why every day we reset our focus. Well, that's why you know, daily devotionals are a good thing, or at least having devotionals a few times a week is really good. And I want you guys to 
see your devotional or quiet time or time with the Lord, I want you to see that as your favorite part of the day. It's not an obligation. You're not trying to earn your way to heaven. It's this beautiful opportunity. And if you're not there right now, hey, we would love to help you. Pastor Deborah, who's here in the front row, she's a spiritual director. She's trained professionally to do this and teaches that to other spiritual directors at Lipscomb University. And then the rest of us pastors and even our 242 leaders, we'd love to just talk to you about how to take those steps to make God your favorite time of the day. But the reason we do that is we're not trying to earn our way to heaven. We're already in because of Jesus. He did it all. It's because that we are devoting ourselves to the Lord. We're resetting our focus almost every day. Resetting our focus so that we can be who God has called us to be. So here's our passage for today. And I'm going to read this, and when I'm done, I'm going to present it as a word of the Lord. And if you choose to, you can join me in saying thanks be to God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That Jesus knew something about focus. Uh, He was focused because he had a vision. And there were difficult things for Jesus, but for the joy before him, and guess what the joy was before him? You and I were the joy. Jesus endured the cross and he had the vision um, and, and he kept focus as he moved that way. So today we're talking about the title of the message is Reset Your Focus. And I'm going to give you, hopefully, if we have time, four things uh, and four things. If we don't get to all four of them, you can go back and, and watch us on YouTube. Uh, but here's the four either senses or activities that we do that will help us reset our spiritual focus. Here's number one is our eyes. Why don't you think about your eyes? I want to call you to live from a Christian worldview. Make sure your eyes are moving through the filter of a Christian worldview. When I was younger, people used to talk about worldview a lot. I don't hear that as much now. I still think it's a really good term. We know this is that uh, we view the world through certain filters. And those filters, there's all types of different filters, and we won't take time to discuss those now. But as believers, and I'm speaking to those of you who are believers, I know some of you may be investigating Christianity, but I'm speaking to those of you who are believers, that Jesus and the truth of Scripture and Christianity is the worldview we're called to see the world through. And that means we're going to see the world a little bit differently because we're going to look through the cross and we're going to look through the Scripture and we're going to look through the gospel. That is the way that we see the world. My friends that are pastors in Middle Tennessee, Mark Rampula and Spring Hill, Mark Lancaster in East Nashville, they, they had a little gathering where they called some of our pastors together uh, because a famous pastor from Brooklyn, New York, was going to be speaking. Uh, I had kind of heard about him, but I didn't know much about him. His name is A.R. Bernard. In the 70s, he, he's now in, the, in his 70s, in the 1970s, He was converted from um, a militant 
Islamic movement. And he became a Christian. Started a church a few years later. And that church is very influential in Brooklyn today. As he was talking about his ministry, he was talking about the personal relationship he had with all of the New York mayors as God gave him favor. And one particular mayor had started a religious council. And actually, if I understand this correctly, I remember it correctly, had either employees or designees for different religions that people in New York uh, were, were following. But he had excluded this mayor had excluded Christianity. And A.R. Bernard, through his relationships and diplomacy, and by living out um, the gospel and presenting the gospel with gentleness but with truth, uh, was able to point out to the mayor that it was discriminatory to not let Christians be represented. Uh, The mayor said, well, Christians are in the majority. That, of course, is debatable, right? But even if they were statistically in the majority, they deserve representation. So as he's telling this story, I'm telling you this story to share this quote with you. He said this simple quote that just really hit me. He said this, I believe in Christianity. I believe in Christianity. And, and as the meeting broke up, uh, Bob Perry, who is one of one of the pastor uh, missionaries we support, local missionary, he's ministered here before. He said, Aaron, did you hear what A.R. said? The power, and he said, I believe in Christianity. And I've been thinking about that quote for a while because the evangelism movement is a good movement when we're trying to convert individuals um, to, to Christianity or to Jesus. We've said things like this. Well, you know, it's about a relationship with Jesus. It's not just about being a Christian. We've said things like that. Because at one time, we thought cultural Christianity was taking people away from Jesus. Now, in a post-Christian America, I think we have to join A.R. Bernard in reclaiming the value of our faith. Christianity is good. Our Savior, we know this, we know this theologically, that Christianity is the only way. Jesus is the only way to the Father. That was his claim. But beyond that, Christianity brings good to this world and brings good to our nation. And so we should be humbly proud to be Christians. Not arrogantly, not demeaningly, but we should have a sense that our faith is good. Our faith makes a difference that wherever the Christian faith the church is established and Christian is influencing different sectors of society. It's a good thing. And I'm calling you to a Christian worldview. Don't believe the deception of the enemy that Christianity is bad or that living by scripture is outdated or looking to ancient literature for truth is somehow not relevant today. I want to tell you that Christianity is good. And I join that pastor and say, I believe in Christianity and I believe in its impact. First Corinthians chapter one, we're not going to read it today for the sake of time, but I want you to later read first Corinthians chapter one, verse 20 through 25. Uh, those are in your notes. It's in, um, it's, it's in you version, write it down. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 20 through 25. And this is telling us essentially this, that our worldview that we see as truth, people see as foolish. 
So I just want to instruct you in the Lord in this. That if you're going to have a Christian worldview, which I'm calling you to have because the Lord has called you to have that. That means that some people that you admire are they're important to you or you think that are funny may not like your perspective. You're not always going to be included. You're not always going to be understood. If you have a Christian worldview that looks at the truth of the gospel and the truth of scripture, you may be accused of being bigoted. You may be accused of being closed-minded. You may be accused of being outdated. You may be accused, and this is hard for some of you, of not being smart. You know, we all want to be known as smart or at least have that. Even in social media, I, I am involved in social media. Social media has been somewhat of a blessing in my life. I'm aware of all of the, of the consequences, but there is something inside of me that hopes that that person that I took math with in junior high 35 years ago will say, man, Aaron Allison, that's a smart guy. I mean, what is it about us that we want that? Well, sometimes if people don't have the Christian worldview, they're not going to think you're smart often. But that, that is understanding that the Christian worldview makes a difference. And what the world calls foolishness, we call the wisdom of God. That's a summary of the scripture I want you to read later. What the world calls foolishness is our salvation. The story that this one man was God and he died for the sins of the world, we're comfortable with that story and it's, it's nourishing to our spirits and it's everything, but it's strange to people who don't have a Christian worldview. And so when you know that ahead of time, you're prepared for the days ahead of you. When I was in graduate school, one of my professors says some, said something in the class one day that I've never forgotten, and it impacted me, so I want to share it with you. I don't know if he was just trying to get our attention or we weren't paying attention or whatever the case was, but he said, listen, all of you are out of money to go to school, and we're giving thoughts, and you're purchasing those thoughts, and so you're deciding what to do with those thoughts. Now, we're having this systematic excuse me, uh, um, what's the name of our school? Three Stream School of Theology. <laughs> what's the name of this dream that I've had for years? Uh, we have the Three Stream School of Theology, and I hope you sign up for it. I hope you join us either Monday or Tuesday. We're asking if you're able to pay $50 per class just to help us keep the momentum. So let me save you $30,000 and invite you to uh, register for the Three Stream School of Theology instead of getting a master's at somewhere that would cost a lot of money. The point is this, whether you're paying $50 or $30,000, you're purchasing thoughts. You're purchasing thoughts. You're purchasing ideas. And this is, not, this is not limited to education. I thought about this, and I thought about any form of media, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a TV show, whether it's listening to something on the radio. There is an attachment, a monetary attachment. Maybe it's paying for the Internet. Maybe it's paying for the cable bill. Maybe it's paying for the gas that's moving your car. But we're always purchasing thoughts. And thoughts are becoming part of who we are. Here's a second reset. I'm going to ask you to reset your ears. And remember, when you reset our ears, when we read, we're hearing our voice when we read. Reset our ears. And this is what I'm calling us to do. To discern the consumption of thoughts. Allow the Holy Spirit to help you discern the consumption of thoughts, to not just be manipulated by the presentation of thoughts. 
Because the presentation of thoughts can be very manipulative. And even a public speaker like me, even a preacher, we can use, uh, Lord forbid I do this, but use manipulative techniques to, to present thoughts. Charisma is a good thing because it can be used to the glory of God. It can draw people to Jesus, draw people to the word, but it also can be a deceptive, a deceptive truth, a deceptive practice. And so you have the Holy Spirit of God. I'm calling you to reset your ears, reset your ears so that you can discern what is being said. Is it of the Lord or is it not of the Lord? Well, Guys, I'm just going to give you these last two points and then we're going to transition and you can go back online and, and listen to the full sermon uh, because, because I'm, what we're going to do uh, at the end of the service is so valuable also. Here's three, if you're taking notes, is reset your feet. Being present where you're called. Reset your, some of you need to reset your feet. You had a vision, but you're losing focus and the Lord's calling you to reset your eyes your Christian worldview, reset your ears, the discerning the consumption of thought, and reset your feet being where you're at. Those scriptures, we won't read them in Hebrews 10, especially Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. It's a pastor's favorite scripture. Don't forsake the gathering. You know, we love that. And there's a reason why we love that, because we know when the enemy isolates you, you're easy pickings for the enemy. So we want to be part of the community, part of the family. I need to be part of the community just because the Lord has given me this temporary assignment to be the lead pastor of this church. That, that assignment will be taken from me someday or God will send me to something else. And this temporary assignment I have also means that I'm part of this church and I am submitted to the authority of this church too. I don't trust myself to interpret the Bible by myself. And so I have the community, this community, the community of pastors that I do life with, uh, other pastors from other churches, the community of pastors I do life with here. And then you guys, I'm, I'm accountable to you guys. Don't trust my preaching blindly. Don't trust me just because I work for this church. Discern through scripture and through the Holy Spirit, what is being said. Back to your feet. Be where you're called. If you're called to be a parent right now, that means don't sneak off to the bar after work or don't sneak off to the Preds game when your spouse doesn't know you're doing that when you're supposed to be at home being a parent. If you're a young professional, you're a young adult, and you're single and you can decide whether you come to church or not and no one's really going to bug you because you're single. Let your feet be where you're called. Be where you're called. If you have a job, be at your job. Don't, have you heard this term now, silent quitting where people are collecting paychecks but they're not working? That is not of the Lord. That's not of the Lord. Put your feet where you're called. Show up every day as you can, when you can. I try to do this. Bring the same enthusiasm to your job like you did the first day you got the job. This is such a good saying. I wish I came up with it, but I didn't. Live your life like it's the first day on your job and it's the last day with your family. That's the way God wants our feet to be where we're called. Here's the last thing. Boy, I love kids because for so many reasons, but I love the imagination of kids. Fourth, reset your imagination. Reset your imagination. Long for the perfection of heaven. 
Long for the perfection of heaven. Begin to think further, further until your life with Christ and where your life at Christ will be. And so we form thoughts in our head, mental images and concepts of things that are not. And that imagination is how God helps us uh, in his image to create our future. But we think too small. We think only on the decades that we have on this earth, there's an eternity with God. And when you put your mind on heaven, heaven then begins to come through your life. Hey, I want you with an attitude of prayer. Let's stand together and let's put that last scripture, Colossians chapter three, verse one and four. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above, let your imagination be above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's beautiful. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That's why we're resetting right now. Resetting this, this, uh, our attention for you died and your life is hidden with Christ uh, in God. And I love this phrase. When Christ, look at this, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. Thanks be to God for his word. It's so good.